Father, we do thank you for this time that we get to spend looking at your word. We ask that you would just move through our hearts and through our midst as we now look into what you have to say to us. And we thank you for the great example uh, that Nehemiah is, Lord. And we know the Old, Old Testament is full of people, characters, godly men and women who did great and wonderful things, good examples. And then there's bad examples as well. And we learn so much uh, in, in the lives of people in the Old Covenant. And so we just ask that you would just, again, speak to us and, and draw us near, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've, um, again, been off for a little bit uh, here on Wednesday night, but we are um, left off with uh, chapter 1, uh, went through chapter 1, and essentially it was uh, Nehemiah was heard from one of his brothers, the state of Jerusalem. Now this has been uh, months since uh, the first uh, years, I should say, before the, when the first group went back with Zerubbabel and uh, uh, Joshua the high priest, Zerubbabel was the governor, and then Ezra went a number of years later, and this is after all that took place. As a matter of fact, let's you know kind of review a, a little bit of our, of our um, where we've been, and I'll just put the, uh, the, the map up here again. Um, you can see it that it's, uh, let me get to it here real quick, guys, sorry. Um, that, um, okay, there it is, sorry about that. It is a little difficult doing this. Um, so here's like the map of the Persian Empire, and this is what is, you know, the, the lighter color is uh, the Persian Empire, and, and then the different varying shades, darker shades there, just under different rulers of Persia. So you can see it was a huge um, empire, to, to say the least, and it, you know you can see how far they ruled all the way to to Israel. So uh, and then um, if you go to um, the next slide here, and I'll try to get this going here. I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> If you look at this um, this slide, it's uh, it talks about um, you know the periods of time that uh, Zerubbabel went back, Haggai, some of the prophets at the bottom. Then Ezra went back uh, again with Reformation. We talked about that. We went through that uh, period of time. Esther was written in between those two gaps, and then uh, another twelve year gap after Ezra came back, and then Nehemiah is. Um, you know, coming back here, and the Lord again is working in His heart to, um, um, again, to uh, work through all these things. I'm sorry, I'm trying to get this all straight. Hopefully, this is good. Maybe not. Um, does the picture look okay there? Hopefully, that's good. Well, I can only see your. Yeah, I'm not really sure why that's like that. So, I don't know what I did. How about that? All right. I think we're getting it here. This is kind of a tough thing. Sorry about that. So uh, the walls being rebuilt. Um, in the Nehemiah hears uh, about all that is going on. Thanks. And uh, his brother comes back and just says how bad it is in in Jerusalem. The walls. The people aren't doing well. And the Lord really puts on his heart, you know, to do something about. It. Now remember, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Um, not. You, you can count probably on a few hands how many people had readily had ready access to you know the Persian uh, emperor if you would or the Persian king I, I mean it was just 
to have that kind of access that Nehemiah had was just, again, pretty much unheard of for most everybody in his kingdom. But, you know, he was the right man in the right place and had a willing heart to be used by the Lord into uh, whatever he chose to do, to do what, again, the Lord wanted to do in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah had that heart, and we talked about that last time, and you can re review that message. He did have the heart to, uh, to, to do something. He spent some time praying about it, and that's where we left off last time. It had been about four months uh, since he had been praying. Now, he heard that Jerusalem was in a bad spot. And again, if you look at this slide, it just gives you some idea of the excavations that, that are happening. Uh, you know, this is a modern day. This is excavations of things that were happening in Nehemiah's day. And uh, again, so you get some idea when we talk about the condition of Jerusalem, maybe from this picture, about what it, you know, what it might have looked like and what it, uh, you know, how difficult it must have been. Um, um, and again, so we'll, you know, look at that as we get into it. Just a, a, a difficult place and difficult things that he was, you know, called to do here. So he, um, again, he went before the king and asked, yeah, I, he went before the king, and uh, sorry, these pictures and slides are going to be the the bane here. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it might be better. Well, it's all plugged in. It's okay. So, again, we left off with him asking, and of course the king and queen were very eager, hey, when are you going to come back? So obviously Nehemiah was was loved and, uh, you know, appreciated by the people there in um in, in Persia, particularly by the Persian king, Artaxerxes. And so uh, he was going back, and if you look at chapter 2 and read verse, all oh, this look about verse, you know, 8 or so, and uh, it, it said, you know, he asked for a letter to Asa, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might make timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, and which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So, you know, I, I want to rebuild the city and I, I want to do all that. And of course, it gives them this great um, blessings to get timber and material he needs and so forth. And then verse 9 says, uh, then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the end of verse 9 tells us that tells us that now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. So Nehemiah, unlike Ezra, remember, if you remember, it was uh, very different because uh, Ezra did not have any military escort. The king asked him, do you want it? And he's like, no, the Lord's just going to take care of us and protect us and even though they were carrying tons of precious metals and valuables, uh, unlike Nehemiah, you know, you know, he he made a witness. He had a witness before the king of, you know, don't worry, our God is big enough to protect us. And of course, you remember they prayed and fasted before they left, and and God did take care of them during the four month journey. But in Nehemiah's case, it was a little bit different. Um, again, uh, you know, we see that he had a different, um, uh, you know. Uh, approach to it and the king kind of said here no you're going to take these guys which is okay 
Um, both are okay. Sometimes God uses, does this way and works in this way. Some people have a conviction about this and others don't have a conviction about this. Should I do this? Should I do that? There's room in, in, in the kingdom of God for people's you know, heart and how they feel the Lord is leading them and what to do. And this is a perfect case of the difference between two very godly men, Nehemiah and Ezra, and both doing it and approaching it a different way, both you know, being right for what the Lord had for them. And obviously, as we'll see in Nehemiah's time, um, why the Lord sent the, the troops with him at that point as we get through this a little further. Now, verse 10 said, uh, uh, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Am Amorite, or Ammonite, I'm sorry, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And so, uh, again, they, um, you know, they, these guys were the, the rulers beyond the river. Anything was west of the Euphrates River. And uh, maybe if I go back a couple of pictures, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that again. So you can see kind of the Euphrates River there. And, um, um, well, if we can go back all the way there on this. Of course, I pressed the wrong button. And uh, you can kind of see the Euphrates River there um, uh, going through everything west of that was under these governor's care. And so that, that's what he was saying and what, what he was showing to him that, you know, I have letters from the king, and they didn't like it. There was opposition. Um, again, God's leading him, but the opposition's right away. These guys are like, oh, man, now we can't do to the, the Jews and the, uh, what we want to do. We don't, can't lord over them and take advantage of them and all the other stuff they want because now there's actually somebody here from the king that you know, has some authority and power and is representing them and is caring about their well-being. Um, again, as we'll see even through chapter 2 here, once a person decides to do the will of God, you know, the doors of hell try to open and, and stop them. You know, it's just the way it is in our lives, in his life. You know, when you set your heart on, you know, I'm not going to miss a church service. Uh, you know, I'm going to be there on Sundays and Wednesdays, and or I'm going to show up to, you know, different Bible studies, or I'm going to read my Bible every day, or I'm going to pray you know, at certain times during the day or whatever it might be, when we set our minds on those kind of godly things, you know, you can bet there's going to be opposition right away. Um, and that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, try to discourage us and knock us off track or any number of things just to, you know, keep us busy so we, we, we don't, you know, do the things that we know the, the Lord's leading us to and try to discourage us in many ways. And so that, that's what's going on here. You know, it kind of sets us up to see what these guys are going to be like when Nehemiah is there. So he comes over there, and again, you know, looking at our map, you know, it took four months with Ezra to get over there. So, you know, but he was with children and animals and, and, and you know, carrying heavy loads. So probably on horseback, most, most of them, if not for sure, soldiers that were... Um, you know, trained to march and so forth. It, you know, probably took him quite a bit less time, I imagine, to get there, but at least a couple of month uh, journey to go there. And he does that. And verse 11 says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose at night, and a few, I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. 
And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up by night by the valley and viewed the wall, and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And verse 16 tells us, And the officials did not know where I had gone, or what I have done, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. So, again, now we, we see what happens. Nehemiah gets there, and he's got horse lag or jet lag or something. You know, he just, he, he, he relaxes for about three days, and then, uh, you know, and probably has a lot of conversations with the people and probably family members of his and others that were there. And then he heads out after three days to do some recon work. Now, notice it tells us that he doesn't tell anybody what he plans to do. He, he waits for the correct time to see what God would do and when he would do it. And he knew there was opposition, obviously. He's probably spent three days hearing about a lot of the opposition. And we know there was opposition as we read it through the book of Ezra as well. There, there was opposition to the rebuilding of the temple and, you know, they discouraged him for many years until, you know, you know, Ezra came and helped, you know, to get him going and encourage him to, I should say, Ezra to help him to walk right and do what the Lord called him to do. And again, all those things had happened here. So he doesn't really tell anybody, you know, what he was going to do and he waits. And I, I think that's a good word for some of us. You know, there's a right time to talk and a right time to keep our mouths quiet. I really believe that. Um, just because uh, what Nehemiah was doing was God's plan, God's will. You know, certainly um, he had led them there and put them there and he had assessed everything. And But again, he, you know, there was a right time to talk about it. And, uh, you know, I believe that's still true in our lives today. And just because God's put something on our heart doesn't necessarily mean that's the exact time and the right time to talk about it. Sometimes we need to pray. Okay, is this, when do you want me to approach it? How do you want me to approach it? And that's exactly what's going on here with Nehemiah. You know, I always, um, you know, if you're unsure on something, I, th this is kind of what I do. And if it helps, maybe uh, you, great. But, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I have this impression the Lord wants me to share this with somebody or, or do this with somebody. And, but, but I'm not quite exactly sure if that's the Lord. So what I'll say is, you know, okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, Father, if this is how you, what you want me to say or what you want me to do, then, then you know, next time I see that person, just remind me that I need to, to say that. And, you know, have your Holy Spirit just put it in my heart again, and then I'll just go and do it. And, you know, there's been a, a number of times in my life where all of a sudden I'll see that person again, and then... I'll remember that, uh, and then, okay, Lord, I know that's from you. You want me to go talk to him. And other times, I just never remember it and really never maybe even think about it again. And then I know, okay, Lord, it wasn't what the time that you wanted me to say that or, or in the way you, I was going to say it. And so, again, there's a right time in that area, and I think that's a great lesson for us here. And Nehemiah takes this, you know, night tour so that no one would know, and as we read through here, you can see the city is so trashed. It's so trashed, the walls are so knocked down, and there's stone and rubble everywhere. 
But the wall was so bad, and, and the remnants from the buildings probably up against the wall, and the wall itself and all that were destroyed so bad that a horse couldn't even pass through. Uh, and, and again, for a horse not to be able to pass through, you know, tells you how bad it really was in, in one of those areas there. And, and again, you know, it's just, uh, it just gives us some sense of what he was going back to. And uh, let me put this um, picture up there again so that you, we have a good sense of, um, you know, what, what it might have looked like. And again, this is what it looks like today when they're doing excavations. And so, you know, uh, just, I don't know, maybe that helps you picture it. It helps me a little bit too. To, to picture that of what what it really looks like here and so um, again uh, Nehemiah waits for the right time to 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 speak to to the people and um, verse 17 uh, was that time and again it doesn't tell us how long from verse 16 to verse 17 how long a t period of time that was but verse 17 says uh, then I said to them you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's word that he had spoken to me. So at the right time, uh, Nehemiah tells of his plan. Then again, probably after the Lord kind of told him, okay, this is you know how I wanted to do it, maybe gave him more detail about it. It doesn't tell us. But what he does when he gathers all those people together, he says, you know, this is, um, reminds the people that this is the will of God. The Lord wants us to rebuild this wall. Uh, and he wants us to make this city usable again, if you would, for the Jews, where it'd be protected and a place that they could go and hold their feast and worship and, and, and all those things. Keep the Sabbath, as we'll see here in a, in a little bit. All those things. He was just willing and, and wanted to do that. It reminds him, this is the will of God. Let's, let's do this. Um, it seems that the people there in, in, in Jerusalem at that time and in Israel, that, you know, that God's people there had just been kind of flowing along with everything, right? It seems like they were kind of content in one way of how things were. They weren't really, uh, you know, they, they had kind of just settled into it. Now, it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't good. There was a lot of fear and a lot of problems and I imagine, you know, doing sacrifices and keeping the Sabbath and doing the holidays and all those kind of things was difficult, but they had kind of been settled into that. Well, that's just life. But you see, the Lord wasn't, um, didn't want his people to stay in that place. He wanted to bless his people. He wanted to do great things to them and through them and, um, you, you know, use them in the world, use them in the Persian empire as a light to him and do great things in their lives and draw them closer. And, and again, um, but it seems like they had kind of given up to a certain degree. So the Lord sends Nehemiah to wake them up and pretty much tell them, hey, don't settle with what's happening. God has so much more. Just don't settle for this. Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt. And he's inspiring and encouraged uh, the Lord's people. 
you know, uh, uh, come on, this is what he wants. He wants to do greater things. And there was just this great inspiration and encouragement, you know, to get to it. Don't just settle to where we are. Just don't settle in in this mediocrity and in, in this way. No, there's so much more. And I can't help but to think, you know, to have people who have a godly vision around. Um, they're used so powerfully in the church uh, over the centuries and, you know, so important in people's lives. You know, to have somebody come alongside and really encourage you and challenge you and inspire you to do think great things for, um, you know, for the Lord. And, uh, you know, just those people are so important, whether it's, again, in, in, a, in a person's life or, or in the life of a church. I was just reading an article, um, I don't know, a couple days ago. I was losing track of time a day or two or three or so ago. You know, and it was talking about um, Abana, Abana, Abana? That research group, Bana, I can't remember how to pronounce it off the top of my head, but they were talking about uh, churches in America and, you know, again, uh, you know, they're, I, I, I don't know how accurate all their data is and how much it reflects everything other than mainline denominations, um, whether they're liberal or conservative. But, you know, it was talking about how many, um, you know, pastors uh, have left the ministry or how many vacancies there are at so many churches. And it went from the Catholic Church. I, I forgot how many, um, how many parishes with, without a priest. I think it was like 3,300 just in America that were parishes, Catholic par parishes without a priest. And then it talked, I think, about the Evangelical Lutheran denomination, and they had a, like 25% or 20% of other churches in certain regions had pastor vacancies and lay people have been stepping up in those. And there were some other, you know, big denominations that they um, you know, talked about. And, and then some of them had just left. COVID was just more um, than a lot of them had, you know, problems with, um, you know, um, uh, you know, all those things. And, a lot, uh, you know, they kind of attributed a lot of this to, to COVID and how discouraging it was and, you know, not having people come and trying to figure things out over the internet and not having in-person services. And church is so, it is so different and not having people together and in fellowship and trying to do this just online is just, you know, we can do it for a while, but it's just not good. It's not good for the body. It's not good for the church. And, you know, people, you know, kind of start you know, scaling back into fear and, oh, I don't want to get this and that. And I'm not saying we don't use wisdom, but, you know, there's just a, a lot with that. And, you know, it, it's important, particularly during this time, that, you know, there's people that do come along, that have a vision and have encouragement. And, you know, God wants to do more. And let's just not settle for this and that. Or, you know, whether it's in our lives individually or for a church group or, you know, the larger uh, body of Christ, you know, having a, a Nehemiah come along is always so wonderful. And you can see there by their response, really at the end of verse, you know, 18, their response is, so they said, well, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to the this good work. You know, when Nehemiah shares what's in his heart, what the Lord wants to do and how he wants to do great things, you know, with uh, to his people, for his people, through his people, 
rebuild Jerusalem, get it back to where, you know, they're, uh, all these things where God has planned for them. And, you know, when they have a, a man like Nehemiah with that godly vision, their answer and response is, yeah, you're right, we should do this. Yeah, let's do this. I'm ready to help out. I'm ready to jump in. And um, again, great to have encouragement in our lives in our church. And, you know, we all need it at various times, and uh, we all need to, to give it at various times. You know, and I, I believe you're either, you know, it's not black and white, obviously, but either, you know, you're receiving it or you're giving it. It, it should be going on one way or the other in some form or shape, really. And um, you all know what it's like to have, uh, you know, somebody encourage you during difficult times or, you know, or maybe just because, you know, things are just kind of day in and day out that steps in and, you know, this and that. We all know what that's like and how great those people are. And we need to be those people too, not just receive it, which we should, but also, you know, be part of those that are used by God to encourage them. And that's so great. But... As I said earlier, when you set your heart and your mind and now everybody's behind them, everybody's ready to do it, they're ready to work and, and to jump into this, this good work, this work, in other words, that the Lord has ordained, verse 19 comes along. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem um, the Arab, so now there's another third ruler there, heard it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so I answered and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So again, they all set their hearts in mind, and then these leaders come out, right? These guys that had some authority, and they were there appointed by the Persian you know, government, the, government, the king and the rulers there back in, in Persia itself proper. And you know, they come out, and the first thing they do is start mocking it, right? You know, oh, come on. You look at this. Come on. Really? You, you can, you're going to do this? Look at that. That's just impossible. It's, it's such a mess. Come on. There's just no way. And, and, and then, you know, they, oh, you're not going to be able to do anything. There's no way you can do this. And how, how do you propose to fix this? And, you know, they could just point and see, you know, rocks strewn for hundreds of yards and all that kind of stuff and all over the place. And how are you going to put it together? And we just need to remember, mocking and ridicule are powerful tools of the enemy. You know, it kind of hits our pride. It kind of hits us, you know, that we want to uh, not look bad to people. Um, you, you know, um, you know, it's just it's all those things. And you know, we, oh, you know, we don't want, we want to be liked by everybody. And uh, again, it just kind of hits us there. And so. It's a powerful tool. And the other thing is it, when you get a chance, can you turn on this little ring light? It's off for some reason. Uh, so often, um, this is correct. <laughs> That's the crazy thing, right? It, it, they're correct. Oftentimes when they say, oh, there's just no way this is gonna happen, there's no way this can be done, there's no way you're gonna be able to do anything, 
And, uh, you know, the reality of it is, yeah, who are you to be able to build that and do that? Just make sure it's plugged in and then you push the blue button. And then, you know, um, they're right. You're right. Who is Nehemiah? He's a cupbearer. He's not some uh, project engineer with some great construction background. Who are all the people that are going to help him? Are they, you know, all carpenters and guys that are stonemasons and can figure all this stuff out and everything? No. They're not. We're going to see, as a matter of fact, they're not. Very few are, if, if, you know, a handful of them. And so they're mocking and they're putting them down and telling them this is impossible. What are you going to do? Um, you know, in a lot of areas when people do that, say, who are you to say that or to do that or be able to talk to those people that way or, you know, be using, you know, and, but what they discount and what they forget is the grace of God using a person. So one of the important things that we need to remember is um, the power went out on this now. Whatever you did, just lost the power to fight that. And so um, I think we're just totally down now. I don't know what you did, but and unplugged the cord, and now now you unplugged the lamp. Okay. I think it's the outlet way. Okay. Well. But everything's plugged in. All right. In. Well, I think the whole thing just shut down on us, and so. Everything's plugged in. It's still online. Hmm? It's still online. Oh, it's still online? Yes. Okay, thank you. I'm screen recording it on Facebook, so you can post it. Okay, good. So I, um, the power went on on this. Just make sure we have power on this. I'm not sure how that's all going to work. Oh, just went out again. So whatever you're doing, just unplug the light. Don't worry about it. And keep the iPad plugged in. All right, sorry about that, you guys. There's just always something here, and we just shut off the whole power. I don't know how it's streaming without power, but... Um, is it on? It is for right now. Yeah, it's not touching anything. But, uh, you know, that's they just they discount the grace of God. That's exactly what happens. They just discount it, and they, you know, uh, they have no thinking that God's grace can, can accomplish those things. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they're right. You know, they're, they're right on those things. And they have a good point. But they don't know the power of God. And you can't let that discourage you. You're right. Who am I? How can I do it? How can this go on? You know, how can this all happen? Uh, you, you know, they're right. But what you can't discount either is, well, it's not about me and how good I am or how smart I am or how talented I am or how I am able to do this or how I have, um, you know, all these things. No, it's by God's power and God's grace working in through the life of a willing vessel. And that's exactly what we need to remember. Um, you, you know, Nehemiah also, when we get the mockers and those that are putting us down or even the threats, again, one of the other ones was at the end of verse 19, you know, you know, they're hinting right there, oh, you're by doing this, you're rebelling against the king. And obviously, that's completely untrue uh, because the king authorized this and gave him all this. But again, you start putting those words in there at rebellion and anybody in, in any kind of government, uh, any kind of political power in any kind of country back then or now... You, you talk about those things and all of a sudden lights go off and warning bells flash and all that kind of stuff because let's face it, right? They, um, uh, you know, uh, 
he's planting that seed of opposition. And, um, and, and so again, that's just what we have to, you know, think about. These things go on and, and that's another threat, but we have to trust the Lord. And Nehemiah also, you know, counted the cost. He counted the cost of what it was uh, to do these things. Um, he, he wasn't going to turn back. He wasn't going to be discouraged. He wasn't going to be fearful. No, Lord, this is what you told me to do, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to um, uh, let anything or anyone discourage me or throw me off track from what you want to accomplish through me. And he, he understood that as well. He wasn't going to let his pride or his ego or fear or any of those things rule his life or influence him to move out of the will of God. And I just want to remind us that, you know, Christianity will be the death of us. <laughs> Christianity is the death of us. Really, it'll be the death of you. And I say that, you know, kind of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek way, but there's just some reality to that because that's what Jesus said, right? we got to remember that. If we, we love our life, uh, you know, we're going to lose it. If we lose our life for his sake, we're going to gain life. You know, it's this uh, uh, um, way that the Lord works in this world. It's this paradox. It's this, uh, you know, we, we understand this is how the Lord works. And, you know, if we realize and come to the point where, you know, Christianity, true Christianity, if you would, is, is the death of me. And when we realize this, it's no longer about me and my hopes and my dreams and my plans and I want this and I don't want that and I want to see that and I want to go there. And we have all these lists and, and endless ideas of what we want to accomplish and do and be a part of and all those things. And those aren't necessarily wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, those things can be very good and right in a lot of ways. But at the end of the day, what has to have... Um, approval over that or what has to what we have to realize is no no it's not about me and what I want to do it's about Lord you and living through me and what do you have for me and and if those things are you know as you work in my heart and you put those things in great but if they're not part of your plan and will then I'm willing to let those go and move them aside and then when we realize that then we're in a place like Nehemiah is like well what can they really do to me I mean, really, at the end of the day, what can these guys do to me? I, I can't ever lose. You know, if I'm in the center of God's will, and let's say the worst thing happens, they decided to get their swords out, and let's say they had the ability to overpower me physically, what, what, what's the worst thing? I go to heaven, right? I mean, how does he lose? How do we lose? And, and, and if, you know, he chooses to to, uh, you know, continue on, he's, then he's going to work out all those things out. And I think that's so important. I think it was understood by Nehemiah, and it needs to be understood by us as well. That we, as we are his children and belong to him, and we follow his leading and his will and his plan in our life, and our lives are centered around his will and his plan for us, um, and then you know, when he's leading us and this opposition comes or threat comes or COVID comes and, you know, oh man, will I get sick by this or how will this happen? Or, you know, uh, the Russia's invading Ukraine and there could be more wars and this and that. And we start worrying about, 
And it's like, well, I'm a child of God. I, I want to be in the center of his will. I'm, I'm trying to live my life in, 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 in harmony with his design and will and plan for my life. I, I, I want that. I desire that. That's what I want to do. And so all these things that come up, oppositions or fears or things in the world, whether they're, they're on a huge scale or a small scale, your, you know, your boss is this way, or one of your teachers is this way, or a neighbor is this way, or a family member, or, you know, opposition coming in different forms in different ways, and you think, Lord, I'm just, I'm here just to do your plan and, and be in the center of your will, and I, I gave, my, my promise was when I came your child was to give you my life. That was the deal we made. I gave you my life, and you returned made me your child and forgave my sins and are blessing me and used me and have heaven in store and all those things on and on and on. When I received that, that precious gift of, of your grace by what Jesus did for us on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, that your seal of approval on that, what have I got to lose? What can they really threaten me with? What can they really do? What's the worst thing? But I'm in the center of your will and I believe whatever happens is because you've allowed it, and, and you know, uh, I, I just trust in that. And when my time's up, my time's up, or if you want to stop it for a reason, and you use that for a reason, or you, you, you know, you're, or if you want me to continue on, and you want it done now, then you're going to break through all those log jams, and all those problems, and those people, and those threats, and, and, and all those things, no matter how great or small they are. And I think, you know, that's what Nehemiah understood, and what we need to understand as well. Um, you know, there's going to be, when we set our hearts to do God's plan and God's will, there is going to be opposition. It'll come in all sorts of forms, but we set our hearts on the Lord, I give you my life. And, you know, if the whole thing comes tumbling down, well, I'm still yours. I still want to do your will. And you still have all those promises you give me. And, and I'm looking forward to being with you forever. And so, um, you, you know, it's that great thing that we can stand on and overcome the fears of this world and all the uncertainties and know that God you're in control and I'm yours and so your promise is to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish in my life uh, and the lives of your people just as we'll see here in the story of Nehemiah well I think we're going to call it a night here because chapter 3 is all about the building process and the builders and I think that deserves a lot of time looking at it and we're having so many electronic problems tonight <laughs> I'm going to pull the less, rest of what hair I have left out here and try to figure this out. But um, we'll, we'll pick it up because it's great to go through all chapter 3 at, at one time and, and not rush through it. So let's go before the Lord and we'll pick it up next time in chapter 3. Father, we do thank you for this time. And we do ask that you would just move in our hearts and our midst, Lord, as you spoke to us tonight. Father, it's just great to see uh, what you're doing through... Um, you know, uh, uh, Nehemiah and, and the people and how you used him in a great and powerful way. And we, we want to be that, those people too. We want to be used by you in a great and wonderful way. And so, Father, we do ask that you would just uh, lead us and guide us and speak to us. And, Lord, that we might trust you. And, and, and Lord, that we might just be used by you. And, yes, Lord, you tell us opposition is going to come. But we can just trust you, that you're going to see us through, that we can believe and, and trust that know what you have is absolutely the best for us, Lord. And so we do ask that you would give us that strength. And I pray for those that are, you know, tonight that are, you know, in opposition and they're trying to do your will and they're trying to do what's right and they're trying to, 
um, you know, uh, serve you in a, in a great way. And Lord, we ask that you would just strengthen them and bless them. And Lord, help us to be the encouragers as well, Lord, as, as well as receiving the encouragement and, and those that you send our way with, with your vision, with that godly vision that, um, that we might listen to them and receive it like these people did. And just be willing to go and receive that encouragement and step out in boldness and faith and even though there's opposition. And, and again, Lord, also, as I said, just that we would be the encouragers as well and that you would give us vision, um, Lord, as well, to be used in that same way. And Lord, you just, we thank you for your goodness and for your love and for all the great things that you do. So bless us, Father, with these things, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.